Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. When I uh, when we first got kids, I uh, realized when we went to birthday parties that they that they need to, need to be taught to fight the urge of opening the birthday gifts for the people. Ours did, at least, right? Every birthday party that we got invited to, we had to have a pep talk at the beginning. It's their birthday, not yours. They open the gifts, not you. Like, that's the talk that we had to have every year, or <clears throat> for, for several years, because they would go, and they would try to blow out the candles and open the gift. And it's in, in the midst of that that I realize that that's, that's kind of what Christmas is like for us. That we say we have this celebration. Meanwhile, we blow off the birthday boy and enjoy the gifts. That's kind of what Christmas feels like year after year. Because in our country, I don't know if you realize this, but in our country... It's just the U.S. alone. We uh, will spend almost a hundred, well, no, excuse me, almost one trillion dollars on Christmas. It's a projection for, our, for this year alone. One trillion dollars. So how many people in our country are actually celebrating Christ during Christmas. You see, I, I, I find it a very boring discussion of whether or not you say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. Because there's so many people who are saying Merry Christmas and saying they're celebrating Christmas, and they're celebrating Christmas and not celebrating Christ. Because you can celebrate Christmas and not celebrate Christ very easily. And the problem with celebrating Christmas without celebrating Christ is the main point of the text that we see here in the Gospel of John is that God's message to the world is a man. God's message to the world is a man. I selected John as our Christmas text because it's my favorite Christmas text. Because we know about mangers and the baby and the wise men and the shepherds. In reality, why we set out manger scenes and celebrate Christmas without celebrating Christ is because we haven't really figured out why it really matters anyway. So here in John chapter 1, we see John introducing us to who's coming before telling us he's coming. So to give us a background, this is what we would call a theological Christmas story. The best, the Christmas story of the best kinds. In which that we understand the significance of the baby in a manger. So what happens in John, to catch you up, as you all probably know, uh, is he takes the reader through a series of signs to prove 
who he says that Jesus is. Well, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, he says who Jesus is. And then the rest of the book, he goes through at least eight series of signs to prove who Jesus is. And then at the end, he says, I've written these things so that you may believe. Jesus is the son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Who he is. Proof by what he's done and the call for you to believe. That's an overview of the book of John. The end goal of John is that you would really live. That you would really live. So we look at the three aspects of Jesus' identity in the first five verses of the gospel of John. Not just so we understand that Jesus is the reason for the season, another slang like that that we put out on Christmas signs. No, that we, we understand that Jesus is the reason for everything. That he's the reason for everything. That we, he not only has significance in a season, but he is the reason for all seasons. For all seasons. So, and I go to this text not because I don't think you know it and I don't think you've been here, but to stir you up as a way of reminder to who that we are celebrating this time of year. So we see three aspects of Jesus' identity. Uh, and this is different than the other gospel writers because Matthew and Luke start with genealogies. Matthew begins with Abraham and goes to Jesus Luke begins with Adam and goes to Jesus. And here in John chapter 1, uh, John has a, another genealogy. And here, here's John's genealogy. God, Jesus. Jesus. That's what he does. Right out of the gate, he's not interested in a dance around motives. But this first point is what he's interested in, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's what he says here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. So that's his genealogy. There it is. That's it. He's God. Not just come from God, because that's what we see here, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he's, he has a relationship with God. He is distinct from God. But not only that, he is God. He is God. That's what he does. That's who he introduces. He introduces one who is God. This is why that matters, and this is why this matters for us. It's because we embark on a celebration of the coming of the Lord Jesus, and it is my desire that you would really celebrate Christmas, that you would really celebrate Christ, mainly. Not that you would have festivities and have all of the things that people tell you you need to have that you would truly celebrate the one who is God. 
So he introduces us to who he is before he tells us that he's come. And just to be honest, um, we won't respond rightly to him if we don't understand who he is. We won't greet him properly. We won't relate to him the right way. Now, I took my kids door to door in our neighborhood, and I, and I realized that there's like three kids in my neighborhood, and that's what I figured out with that. But uh, we went door to door, and uh, I learned that answering the door is a lost art. Like, that's, that, that's old, old school. Nobody does it. Nobody answers the door. Like, we, we, we were at this one house talking to this lady, and the guy was next door in his garage, uh, working out in his garage in his driveway. And as soon as we got finished talking with the lady, his, all, all his stuff was shut up, his car was still there, and he wouldn't answer. Now, I wasn't rude. I wasn't like, we know you're in there. Come out so we can invite you to vacation Bible school. Come out and stand up like a man. No, no I, I didn't do that, right? But I just realized that no, nobody likes people coming to their door. I mean, I don't care what the Jehovah Witnesses tell you. They don't like it. They don't like it. I mean, and it's not just here in Frankfurt. When I lived in Georgetown, I lived in kind of a, the shady part of town. So, like, the sheriff's department was always coming to my neighbor's house. And they wouldn't even open up for the sheriff's department. So I talked to the sheriff several times out on my porch because I'm old school. I answered the door. It's the police. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? But that is John's idea here is we need to know who has come in order to greet them and respond properly. So he, he could say a lot of things about Jesus, but this first one is the most important thing about him, is that he is God. And notice I said that he is, so the, the idea of all of this is that God's message to the world is a man. God's message to the world is a man, but he's not merely a man. God's message to the world is a man who is God. So God's message is himself in a lot of ways. So you look at it and it starts like this, in the beginning. And your mind starts going places and what place does it go but the place that we're going to be January 1 in our Bible reading plan in all likelihood. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. You want to hear that. You want to go there. But that's not what he does. In the beginning, not came into existence. Technically, Jesus, so, so God doesn't exist like we exist. R.C. Sproul made that point several years ago that existence means to come into being. So God doesn't technically exist like you and I exist because we came into being. God simply was. Was. And John makes that point here. That Jesus didn't come into existence. God didn't come into existence. He was. 
What about before that? Well, he was then too. Here's, an, here's another one. What about before that? He was then too. He was. And before that? He was. He always was. So you can startle someone. You say, God doesn't exist. They go, what do you mean by that? Well, to exist means to come into be, and God doesn't come into be. He always was. He always was. He always is. He always will be. So what John starts it and says, in the beginning, not will be, was the word. That's what we see here. So it's an interesting nickname that he uses. And, and like word is not a nickname for you. Like nobody else has this nickname, the word. Like Alan Iverson was the truth, but that's silly, right? Because there is only really one truth. Uh, but so here is the word. So there was a moment when he never was, there was never a moment when he was not. The son, son of God always was. And, and why does he call him the word? Well, William Hendrickson puts it like this. A word serves two distinct purposes. It gives expression to the inner thought, the soul of the man, doing this even though no one else is present to hear what is said or to read what is thought. It reveals the thought, hence the soul of the speaker to others. Christ is the word of God in both aspects. He expresses or reflects the mind of God. Also, he reveals God to man. That's what Jesus does. He, if you're like, I wonder what God is thinking. Look at the life of Christ. That's what God's thinking. That's what his thoughts are like. And I wonder, what, I wonder what God would say to me. Look at the life of Christ. That's what he would say to you. It's kind of hard to wrap our minds around, but, but look at the person of Jesus, what he did, what he said, how he lived, how he died, how he rose again, that is what God would say to you. And in that, there are all kinds of implications, right? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. That's what God would say to you. I am the door. That's what God would say to you. That's here, that's in John, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what God would say to you. The I am statements here in John. It's, it's, that's what he would say. He is the word. And what did the word say? I am all of these things. And that's the rest of the book. He expresses the mind of God and reveals him to man. That's what he does. He tells us who's God, who God is and is our clearest picture of him. Now, this was the contrast to the Greek gods of the day who were fickle and, and their word couldn't be trusted. They played tricks on you. But God is not like that. We, we struggle uh, this time of year because of a, 
uh, uh, because of Christmas and we look at uh, Santa Claus and we think that that's what God is like. <laughs> right? That's, that is a big problem this time of year is like that we literally think that that's what God's like all the time. Come here and sit on my lap and here's some gifts. Were you good this year? I'll take your word for it. No, wait. He sees when you're sleeping. I, I get it. I get it. He's keeping a list. See, God is not necessarily like that. He's not like an old man that hands out quarters and Werther's originals at church. He's not really like that. Why do I say that? Because I got some Werther's originals and people are like, hey, old man. That's what they do. That's what they tell me, right? That's what those Werther's originals make. But our culture views God like this. Instead, we should view God the way God has revealed himself to us. And this is how God has revealed himself to us through his word. Through his written word and through his word that became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we should do. And what do we do when we, we realize that Jesus is God and the one who is owed all our affection and determines all of our direction? We repent at that. At all of his competition, particularly this time of year, and all the noise this time of year. That's what we do. Tells us, so Jesus is God. He has union with God. The beginning of there in verse 1. He is distinct with God. And he is God. Divine in essence. That's who Jesus is. He was with God. So let's go back to the top. Take it from the top. He is eternal. In the beginning of the beginnings was the word. He is in union with God. And he is co-equal with God. We see all that in verse 1. You know, I don't know how many baseball fans we have here today. Uh, I, uh, I saw a post on one of my Atlanta Braves groups. Uh, and this guy watched 19 days, 24-hour periods of baseball this year. He clearly didn't have kids. But like he posted his stats and he's like, look, I guess I watched a little bit of baseball this year. 19 days worth of baseball. That's 19 24-hour periods, whatever that math is. 24 times 10, that's 240. Anyway, you got it, right? A lot. He watched a lot of baseball. And what happened in the, in the recent days of baseball is that the Los Angeles Dodgers signed Shohei Otani to $700 million worth of a contract. And as a follow-up, they got Yoshinobu Yamamoto. That's the correct pronunciation. To over $300 million. So Yamamoto and Otani together, let's do a little math, over a billion dollars in both of those fellers. 
all of those eggs in two baskets. And it's controversial because people are like, he's a sore, they're a sore elbow and a tweaked ankle from losing a billion dollars. A lot of people are having problems with that. Why? Because they would invest all of that money in such a, a small place. You realize these are just men. Tony's already heard he can't pitch until 2020. He can't pitch right now. He's hurt. I don't know what year it is. But you, you see how silly that is. It's foolish. If the ball bounces the wrong way, if there's a knee that's twisted, a little arm pain there, you have potential to waste a lot of money because you put all your resources in that small bucket. But here in John, he's telling us right out of the gate, it's okay, you are safe to put all of your eggs in this basket, this one's basket, and it will not be a waste. You can pour out your entire life into this one right here, and it will not be a waste. But reflected praise to the God who created you, because this one's God. They pour all their resources into just really almost a billion dollars into one guy. What if, what if he gets hurt? Then they've lost it all. My friends, just a reminder, this one will not let us down. Now we mistake him letting us down for, for hard times in our life. Right? We, we don't, we don't we use that. We say that. Oh, he's so faithful. He's always been faithful. He'll always be faithful to you. And we hear that translated into our brain that our life is going to be easy. No, that's not what I'm saying. When I say you put all your eggs in this one's basket because John says he's God. It doesn't mean that things are going to go the way you want them to. That's not what I'm saying. Don't translate it into that. I'm saying you're going to be able to look back on your life after you put all your eggs into this basket and realize that that's what you were made to do anyway. That's what you're created for. And you won't waste your life like that. You won't waste your life like that. Or you could get scatterbrained and try to diversify your funds. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you'll waste your life. You won't look back and say, I, I, I gave too much to the person of Christ, his work, and his causes in the world. I gave too much. I wish I'd have done something else. You won't look back on it like that. You won't have regrets for this. You won't. I already look back and, and realize how much I've already wasted, don't you? Like, I've already... I, I already, already look back and regret not doing certain things. But because this one is God, you won't have regrets for living for him, for taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following this one. It won't mean it's going to be easy, but it absolutely will mean that it will be worth it. It will be worth it. 
It will, be, it will have meaning. It will, it will matter. That means your life will matter in the donation of it to this one. He will not waste it. Why would, would you donate your life to this one? Well, because of the second part of his identity that we see here in the verse. Not, not only is Jesus God, but he is the generator of life. He's a generator of life. Your life has its genesis in this one. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. It says in the next verse. Like flies are attracted to light. And attracted to other things, let's be honest. I have that same effect with Jehovah Witnesses. Like if there's one in a five mile radius, he'll be out on the porch waiting on me. It's just what it is. My friend was new in town. He's like, can you watch my house? Uh, or can you uh, let the contractor in to my house? They're, they're, building, they're finishing the, the duct work there and they, they need somebody to be there. So, I kid you not, I go into this neighborhood that I have no, I, no, I don't live there. I go into this house. I'm just there for 15 minutes. Someone knocks on the door. And guess what? That contractor is a little old lady. So I go out to talk to the contractor, who's a little old lady, and she hands me a tract with a watchtower next to it. Because she's a Jehovah Witness. She wasn't the contractor. So I gave him a hard time. I was like, a Jehovah Witness came to my door, or your door, and I was the one that had to open it. And the conversations usually don't go good, just to be honest, because of what we see here in John chapter 3, that there are two categories for which, <laughs> two categories that exist. The creation and the creator and John draws a line down in it and says, this one is not in the category of the created. Straight from the beginning, he was. And not only that, he was the creator of all things. And all things were made through him. Do you mean all things? Well, Let's put it like this. Without him, not anything was made that was made. Like everything? Oh, yeah. Nothing that was made was not made by him. Everything that was made was made by him. That's what he does here. That's why all things depend on him. All things were made by him. All things are made for him. That is what we see. Everything we see, feel, and know, he created. He created. Henry Morris puts it like this. God has written two poetic masterpieces, as it were, one in the physical creation and one in the lives of men and women redeemed by his grace. 
the Lord Jesus was the creator of both of those masterpieces. Paul writes in Ephesians this way. He says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There was a preacher a while back that said that workmanship is the word where we get the word poem from. The word of God's poem written in Christ Jesus. That's what we are. This new year coming up is a perfect time for us to reevaluate our lives to see if they are focused on this one that made us and it gave us everything we have. Would our life read like a poem written by God in Christ for His glory? Or would our life read like something that was about us? That's a question. You see, we, we had a funeral here in the church in the past week. And I focus on the obituary Maybe a little too much. But at the, at the service, I mentioned that the obituary, uh, our name starts at the bottom of the obituary, right? You're young, you got a strong back, you're, you're a pallbearer at the bottom. And then eventually, your name goes higher. Like, so our life is, is really an ascension up an obituary. It really is. Until we eventually get to the top and our name is bolded. The bottom, we're a pallbearer. We might be a grandkid. Then we turn into a, a child of the deceased. Then we turn into a spouse of the deceased. And then we are the deceased. It just flows from the bottom to the top. And then it, eventually it ends with our name in bold at the top. That's what it does. And in our ascension from the pallbearer to the person in the box, the question is, is our life going to be about us? Or are we going to give glory to the one who created us by the way that we live our life. That is what this text causes us to reflect on. Because Jesus is God, Jesus is the generator of our life, and he is also the one evaluating our life and how that works, whether we're doing it right, whether we're doing it wrong. And our ascension up the obituary, are, are we living in the light? Are we living in darkness? Look at verse 4. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In fact, John, in the letter he wrote, says, this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. His life 
is the light of men and women. So the light that is in Jesus is the light of men. First part of verse 4, we see that he gives light. That's moral purity. That's direction for our lives. Here in the verse, light and darkness are personified. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 5, that there are people whom the wrath of God is coming. And what does he say about them? He says we shouldn't connect with them, we shouldn't partner with them. Because why? Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Here, the life that is in Jesus is our Light, and the light shines in darkness. You see, the first five verses of this book show us who he is. Like, so you need direction for your life? You need light? It is in Jesus. So God became man who gave us everything and he told us how to live. That's the three aspects that we see here. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this? How do we not ignore the birthday boy at his own celebration? How do we celebrate Christ as opposed to just merely celebrating Christmas? How do we do that? Well, Verse 14, we see more about this, right? And the Word, so Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. So I'll put it like this. You celebrate Christ instead of just celebrating Christmas by beholding glory. Beholding glory. And how do you behold glory? You take some time away from all the noise and all the toys to behold glory by centering your focus on Jesus. You get beyond the noise, you get beyond the toys to the one who is God, the generator of life and the giver of life. So you're going to have to disconnect. I'm sorry. You're going to have to disconnect a little bit to do this. To behold glory. Now, to behold his glory the right way, you're going to have to repent of your sin. And then you're going to have to gaze at Christ this Christmas in the word. The written word. So, you're going to have to behold glory this Christmas. And this is glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as we're beholding glory this Christmas, 
our minds need to go to the place to realize that Christmas is a celebration of the grace of God. That's what he says here. As the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we all received grace upon grace. So realize that you don't deserve anything for Christmas. (laughs) You don't deserve a thing for Christmas. But what you got for Christmas in the Christmas celebration is grace. Is grace. That's what you got for Christmas. You got a gift that you could never deserve in the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's what we celebrate. So if you're not a Christian, realize that it's not like there's a good list and a bad list and you get coal in your stocking. No, no, no. God said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And he is the one who created everything. And he gave light. Light came into darkness that he calls balls and strikes. And he says, this is how you should live. This is how you shouldn't live. And we live the way that we shouldn't live. And how did we do that? We made it all about us. We made it all about us. The Bible calls that sin. And it separated us from God. The good news at Christmas is that God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus, who was eternal with, uh, in the beginning. He was equal with God. And he was God. So eternal, distinct from God, and equal to God. That one right there lived the perfect life that God required, and he died on the cross for our sins. And we are not celebrating a baby who died when he grew up. We're celebrating a Savior who defeated death and he rose from the grave, crucified and risen on the third day. That is the one we celebrate. We celebrate this. And if you're not a Christian, these scriptures tell you to turn from the way you're going, to turn from the way you're living your life, and to bank your entire life, to put all those eggs. What if, what if you let, what if, don't stop diversifying the funds of your life? I'm dipping my toe in religion. I'm dipping my toe in Christianity. I'm also providing for myself by my work. I'm also trying to make these decisions. That you put all of your eggs in the basket of Christ. That's what it is. It is sailing to the shore of Christ and burning the boats. That's what it is. It's waking up every day and saying, what do you require of me today? Getting in the word till the word gets in you. Using your sanctified brain, informed by the word, to live your life in a way that honors this word. That's what it is. If you're not a Christian, uh, we're going to pray in just a second. I'll be over to the side. Pastor Jonathan will be over here to this side. And then you can talk to us now or afterwards. It doesn't matter the location of that conversation. 
It matters the location of your heart. Is your heart in your desire for Christ? I ask you not, are you, have, have you become a Christian? I ask you, have you come to a person? Have you come to the person of Christ? And are you following, and relating to, loving a person? It's because God's message to the world is in a man. And that man is God. That man is the generator of life and the giver of light. That is who we celebrate this Christmas. We celebrate that God loved the world and he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Everything is about him. So I pray for us that our focus would be disconnected from all of the things and on Christ, that we wouldn't really miss Christmas. Like I, I was talking to my wife, we got some coffee this morning. And, uh, and I was like, I, I feel bad for the, the people that are, uh, you know, thank you for your service. <laughs> that You work a job like this that, that makes you work on Christmas Eve kind of thing. You realize there are gonna, people who have to work through Christmas? Isn't that sad? They're going to have to work on Christmas? That's sad, isn't it? Let me tell you something more tragic. That you get time off, you spend it for, with your family, you celebrate Christmas, and you don't celebrate Christ. That's sadder than somebody who just has to work and miss it. Somebody that is there and not celebrating the Christ. So let's pray during this time that that won't be us. Father, thank you so much for your son. I pray that you would uh, transform us into a celebration of the coming of the Son of God, who is God in the flesh. Please change us. That's what we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.